At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. This is Hardwood Handicappers, VEASAN's premier NBA betting podcast. Here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. What's up, everybody? Happy New Year and welcome in. It's Hardwood Handicappers. You heard it, you know it. Got a good show on tap for you today. A little weekend recap. Get through some of the uh, more notable results of the last couple of days. And uh, look ahead to what the weekend has done to affect some of the betting markets uh, in the NBA. Um, there's some awards markets we definitely have to update. We have a new favorite to discuss in Defensive Player of the Year. We have an MVP-type performance and uh, one shop really taking a position, it seems, on that player to win MVP. You can probably guess who that is. So let's get into it with the way that we usually do with some of the headlines around the NBA. Hardwood headlines. So we begin with the... Uh, the player who is now the favorite to win the award, that's Jaron Jackson Jr. He's now become the favorite to be able to win Defensive Player of the Year. DraftKings, FanDuel, points, but other spots that offer this award have Jaron Jackson Jr. listed as the favorite to win Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, coming off of a performance, too, by the way, on Sunday, uh, Jackson was great. He had three blocks in a win over the Sacramento Kings. Now, all three of those came in the first half, and uh, nothing much defensively outside of just, you know, general good defensive play from him uh, in the second half, statistically. Had a great sequence where I believe it was Malik Monk that he swatted away twice at the rim in that first or second quarter against Sacramento. Uh, Jackson was great. And so now, at this point of the season, it does seem that the market is heavily shifting and liability is probably part of this for Jaron Jackson to win Defensive Player of the Year. Now, narratively, I should say, before we get into the numbers and whatnot, I will be so torn if Jaron Jackson Jr. ends up winning this award, because obviously, uh, one, I am a through and through basketball fan, and you know these guys they provide me entertainment. So it's always cool when these guys win these awards, especially if it's their first time. Uh, as a fan of the sport, you always like to see it happen, uh, especially young guys who seem to be kind of solidifying their foothold as you know whatever they're going to be in the league. This being for Jaron Jackson Jr. solidifying himself as one of the better defensive players in the NBA at this moment. Um, Having said that, it's bittersweet considering our run with Jaron Jackson Jr. last year and uh, the whole 301 and pushing for him to win Defensive Player of the Year and ultimately him not winning it. And we're going to get into those reasons as to why he did not win it because you're seeing a lot of the same stuff here but this for at this point. But let's go through some of the numbers for Jaron Jackson Jr. Because I know, Mitch, we talked about him uh, in terms of you know this award and where he's at. Mitch Moss, host of Follow the Money, talked to him early or late last week. So let's go through some of the numbers for Jackson, who is now the favorite to win this award. 
He is averaging 3.2 blocks in 25.8 minutes per game. Uh, If you go and look on the league leaders, he's actually not listed among the league leaders in in blocks. He he would be if he had been qualified. Uh, But to qualify to be a league leader in blocks per game, you have to play 70% of your team's games. He, of course, got out to a slow start to the season because he did not play, recovering from injury. So he has not yet appeared in 70% of his team's games. He's only appeared in 20 of 36. Uh, that's just under 60%. So once he hits that 70% mark of his team's games, uh, if he maintains this pace, he will be the league leader uh, for blocks per game. Second leader uh, would be, of course, uh, Brooke Lopez at just over two blocks per game. Um, but regardless, Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be up there for blocks per game. Uh, Lopez, by the way, 2.6. Nick Claxton, who we'll talk about in a little bit, is uh, right behind him at 2.5. So Jaron Jackson Jr., in terms of traditional statistics, checking a lot of boxes. Uh, over three blocks a game is pretty impressive. And if you look at it, the deep statistics, analytics, uh, paints a pretty big picture. Ranks in the 100th percentile Jackson does of blo- bigs in block rate, 4.5% of opponent shot attempts when he's on the floor are blocked by him. 93rd percentile of bigs in steal rate. He's stealing 1.2% at a 1.2% clip. Obviously, fantastic for him. And the bigger picture stuff, which is obviously really good for him, since his debut, Memphis, first in non-garbage time defensive rating, only giving up 105.2 points per 100 possessions. Uh, For those who read the article on Sunday, uh, this was something I pointed out, and a reason as to bet the under in that game was just the defensive flow or the defensive play well that's a much better way to put it sorry I guess it's still early for me uh the defensive play that Sacramento was going to face um was unlike what they had seen in the previous four or five games where they'd exploded for offense and that ultimately was the case game went under Kings team total went under um but they've been great defensively since Jaron Jackson Jr. has come back and they are first in non-garbage time net rating plus 9.1 despite being 16th in offense over that span that's uh, pretty big considering an average offense at best. So the, the, the question now becomes, can he win the award if he averages under 30 minutes per game? And this gets back to what I was talking about as to why he did not win it last year. And I go back to Zach Lowe, who was a voter for this award, listening to his podcast and listening to others talk about him um, in that one of the reasons why, I think he only got 11 first place votes last year, um, and why some guys like Lowe put him second on their ballot as opposed to first, was that Jaron Jackson Jr. could not stay on the court. And part of the reason why is that Jaron Jackson Jr. fouls quite a bit, right? He has an issue staying on the court because of the way that he fouls and puts himself in position. Uh, Yesterday, he had three fouls. He wasn't terrible, but still only played 29 minutes. Um, In terms of playing 30 minutes this season, he has played 30 minutes so far this year, I think exactly five times. Double check. Let's see. Uh, one, two, three, four. Only four times, excuse me. So he's only he's only played 30 minutes. And he hasn't eclipsed 30 minutes, by the way. It's just exactly 30 minutes that he has played uh, in these games so far. And that brings me to like that question, right? Can he win this award if his minutes per game are only going to be at about like 27 minutes per game? I would assume he's going to average more than about 25 minutes a game, right? You're going to assume that's going to go up with more playing time um, and, of course, more games played. But can you really win Defensive Player of the Year with such a low share of minutes? And that's a really important question. And it is a question that people who are deciding on this ballot and this award have been asking. And it is the reason why he did not win it last year. So 
if like this is just common sense, right? Which is the defensive numbers are great. And his defensive numbers last year were incredible on par with what we're seeing right now this season. Not so much the blocks, but generally like block rate, steal rate, right? Improving his team's defensive rating when he was on the floor. All of those things are following along the same path as they were a season ago. However, the same issues as last year that kept him from winning this award are also here. And so it really does beg the question of, can he actually win this award? Should he even be favored to win this award? I think is the other question that you're following that up with. And if that's going to be the case, right, if he's not winning Defensive Player of the Year, let's just paint this picture. If he's not winning Defensive Player of the Year, and that isn't going to ultimately hold him back, because, again, futures, like these futures odds tell us nothing. These futures odds, the only thing they tell us is that odds makers are at least paying attention to, like, the general thought process of these awards and that the liability is moving in on Jaron Jackson Jr., right? That's about it. But if you're looking around and we're going, okay, let's say that, Odds or voters are going to take seriously the issues for Jaron Jackson Jr. at staying on the floor. And that is going to keep him from winning this award. So where else do you look on this board? And it's one that we've talked about quite a bit. And we don't have to belabor it because this is more of a focus on Jaron Jackson Jr. But like Brooke Lopez, who is now 2-1, to one, uh, obviously becomes a little bit more attractive. Although, again, investing in a price at 2-1 to one on January 2nd to win this award is not something um, that I'd be running to do. If you have a position on a Jaron Jackson Jr., I think adding an OG Ananobi to the portfolio would be something that is very much worth it. I think Bam Adebayo is a very intriguing candidate at 16-1. Again, if you have not, I already got a couple irons in the fire here, right? Uh, I've got Brooke Lopez, or excuse me, I've got uh, Evan Mobley at 40-1, to something I bet before the season started. I don't think that's going to get there. He's 14-1. to That's just a sign of liability. Mobley, if you look at his defensive numbers, has been nowhere near the guy he was last year. Um, and Jarrett Allen. That was added for me at 33 to 1. At 18 to 1, I still think that's very much worth it when you look at it just from that perspective. But I do think that this is not like what the market is at right now. I don't think that Jaron Jackson Jr. has that lead, right? The implied probability of 37% on that award that his price tag carries. He's been great. But because those issues remain the same for him, I do wonder if that ultimately holds him back from winning this award. So we'll see. He's still got plenty of time. If he maintains this clip and starts to average more than 30 minutes a game, then it's become even more realistic for Jaron Jackson Jr. But I would just keep that in the back of your mind if you're handicapping this award market as to, hmm, maybe this is really something that is going to hold him back yet again because at 25 minutes a game, that is barely nothing. But the kid is playing some spectacular basketball. So let's get into our next headline. And this ties in a little bit to Defensive Player of the Year. I'm going, to, I'm going to make a case a little bit for somebody. Yes, on the Brooklyn Nets. So the Nets over the weekend, of course, uh, they win their 15th of 16 games. They've won 11 consecutive uh, contests now at this point. Uh, won their 11th straight on Saturday. They're 9-6-1 against the spread over this span. They're, so they're covering at a 60% clip over this winning streak. 9-7 uh, and seven to the over, so no real edge to be had there. Markets pretty much on, on tap here with these totals and making them somewhat accurately and they're falling all around that number. I, I wanted to talk a little bit. So we, we've brought up Brooklyn a lot, right? And I will say, even though I didn't act too much on it, I will pat myself on the back because uh, we did have a podcast, what, like a month and a half ago about, hey, you know, hey, watch out. Like this Brooklyn Nets team seems to be showing some legitimate signs of improvement. And that really does seem to be the case now for Brooklyn, of course, as they continue to win games, uh, continue to win tight games too. That's the other thing we should bring up with this squad. Um, when it comes to these clutch numbers, which we'll get to momentarily. Uh, they have been winning tight games, and they've been doing it uh, very well. But wanted to bring this uh, run-up from Brooklyn for a couple of reasons. 
And first off, I wanted to kind of build up the portfolio of kind of an unsung hero during this run for this team, and that would be Nick Claxton. Uh, Nick Claxton for the Brooklyn Nets has been tremendous. Um, He's played in 12 of the 16 games, so it's not like he deserves like all the credit in the world, but still a big part of what they've been able to do to this point. A young kid too, right? Only 23 years old, the second round pick back in 2019. But how about some of these numbers for Claxton this season and during this run? Um, during this run, he's averaging 12.1 points, 8.1 rebounds, shooting 77% from the floor. He's blocking 5.1% of opponent shot attempts when he's on the floor. They are, for the season, outscoring opponents by four points per 100 possessions and non-garbage time with Claxton on the floor. And even more importantly is that Brooklyn, they are a plus 1.2, not anything crazy to write home about, but positive nonetheless over the course of 100 possessions and non-garbage time with Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons on the floor together. Two guys that a lot of people had a lot of questions about whether or not they would fit together. They're still outscoring opponents. Offensive rating is fine. Defensive rating is fine. It's just positive when they're out there on the floor. And that is a good thing because you can make those lineups work. Claxton has been a very big reason why this uh, Nets team has very quietly put together this run and quietly put together a good defensive run at that. Remember, as I've mentioned a couple of times now, the Brooklyn Nets, since they have fired Steve Nash, have been a top 10 defensive team in the NBA. Claxton's been a big reason why. Um, Jacques Vaughn has been a big reason why. Uh, Kevin Durant has been a big reason why. Um, but this thing completely def- like defensively has turned around from a season ago. To reiterate for some of those who don't know the numbers here, uh, since Steve Nash got fired, overall Brooklyn 22-7, and but they're only allowing 110.9 points per 100 possessions. That is fifth best in the NBA. Their offense is averaging 117.6 points per 100 possessions in non-garbage time. That's fourth best in the NBA. So since Steve Nash got fired, this team's top five in both offense and defense. Those are signs of an elite team that can win a championship. Absolutely. Personnel-wise, this team's got every, almost everything you really need uh, to get to the promised land, if you will. They've got a solid, we'll call it solid, um, actually, no, they got two. What am I talking about? They've got two really solid defenders. They have one guy to take care of their really big-bodied wing, uh, winged opponents, and that would be Ben Simmons. They've got a good backcourt defender that's a little rangy that can defend some wings as well, and Royce O'Neal. They've got Nick Claxton as a rim protector. They've got Kevin Durant, who's been playing some tremendous basketball on that end of the floor. This team's legitimate, man. This team's a legitimate threat, and Nick Claxton has been a really big part of that. And why I wanted to bring up Claxton, and it ties into the first headline here, which is... Claxton's defensive numbers, I think you could make a case if they continue to kind of grow and he continues to play at this level. You could kind of make a case here that Nick Claxton, I don't know if he would win defensive player of the year, but he could definitely be in the running for this award. He is obviously not an offensive piece for them, and he's been showing some growth when it comes to his ability to pass and uh, doing the right thing, slipping screens, doing all sort of uh, solid stuff for Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets on offense. But defensively, man, like he needs to improve on his rebounding. I think that's something that ultimately would hold him back. But still, uh, you know, if you're looking at some of the other numbers, doesn't foul at a high rate, a uh, 1.8% foul rate. That's way better than Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, by the way. Uh, steal rate for a big is 0.6%. You mentioned how often he's blocking opponent shots, uh, 2.4% block rate. And again, this is only over 15 games, so the sample size needs to grow. He's averaging more minutes per game than Jaron Jackson Jr., but you can make the argument he is the anchor for a defensive, a top five defensive team in the NBA right now. So again, this is not where, because you can find, I think he's in the range of about 40 to one. I would want more on Nick Claxton to win this award. 
Um, but at the same time, I would not sleep on his chances to win this thing as we kind of move forward here um, when it comes to this award. And as for Brooklyn itself, uh, you're kind of looking around the market, right? And I was trying to find like, okay, do you want to, is there anywhere where we could find something on Brooklyn, right? It, has the ship already sailed? Because at uh, DraftKings and other spots, they're the second choice to win the NBA title. Um, let's see, I think Circa, who we're going to get into momentarily, because Circa tends to take a little bit more of a position on teams um, when it comes to their futures, right? You can get Brooklyn still at about 10 to 1 to win an NBA title over there. It's generally on the high side of the market. Uh, I wouldn't say no if you're in a jurisdiction with Circa, betting at the Brooklyn Nets at 10 to 1 to win the NBA Finals or 5 to 1 or better to win the Eastern Conference. But I think one of the things, and I'll give Mitch Cross credit for this, uh, which is something worth bringing up, of course, um, is the division, the Atlantic division, and what you want to do there. Because if you look around and shop around for this division, obviously the Boston Celtics are the favorite at minus 600. But BetMGM has Brooklyn at plus 550 to win this division over Boston. Um, They've got the Celtics listed at minus 600 to win this thing, a $6 favorite to win the Atlantic division. They only have a a one-and-a-half game lead over the Brooklyn Nets to win this thing. A one-and-a-half game lead, I will reiterate. And the BetMGM market says that they have an 85.7% chance to win that award. I would say from just purely an implied probability standpoint that if you have access to a plus 550 on Brooklyn to win the Atlantic Division, that very much has some long-term value in that number because the gap between them and Boston is not big uh, from a power rating standpoint and from just a literal standings standpoint. And if you look around at the market, that's a very off-market number. In different, like DraftKings, for example, uh, as I stumble through this, DraftKings has Brooklyn at plus 260 to win the Atlantic Division compared to plus 550 over at BetMGM. So again, if you're in a jurisdiction, I think that's that's what we're looking for, right? Like you're looking for ways to support this team and still find value. And you don't want to get watered down numbers like 650 to win the NBA title, but finding a shop that has not accurately adjusted some odds, thus like division odds, and getting a plus 550 on a team that elsewhere is 3-1 to one or shorter to win, that is something where you're looking to take advantage of. So I'd very much jump on that if you have an opportunity to get on a BetMGM number. And I do know uh, that these numbers are different in different jurisdictions. So like I'm out here in Nevada. So BetMGM Nevada has plus 550. I would definitely look and, and you know see if that is going to be the case. Um, but regardless, if you have access to that number or better, uh, I think that is the way we're looking for value in the Brooklyn Nets. And I'll also say this, if you have value to Circa's numbers, um, one of the bets that I did just add to my award portfolio um, was Kevin Durant to win MVP. And the only reason that I added Kevin Durant to win MVP is because uh, Circa was, just like everybody, you know, when you're, getting, when you're kind of shopping around for these, uh, was, I think, a little off market here with the number for Kevin Durant to win MVP. If you're looking around, Kevin Durant right now is in the range of 7 or 8-1 to one to win most valuable player. Over at Circa, as of this morning when I'm recording this on Monday, January 2nd, he's plus 1150. That, again, when you're shopping around, you're looking for the V word, right, value. You're looking for off-market numbers. That is an off-market number. For a guy who has been absolutely insane during this run and throughout this entire season and playing some of his best basketball on both ends of the court, at plus 1150 to get off-market with that thing, that is very much, I think, something that you're really investing in 
if you're in a market that has Circa. And to give you an idea, in 13 of these 16 games for Kevin Durant during this win streak, an average of 29.2 points, 7.3 rebounds, 5.3 assists on 58.7% shooting. And we know Kevin Durant. Those are not shots at the rim. This dude's taking jump shots and hitting 58.7% of them, shooting 39% from three, 141.9 in terms of the points per shot attempt. Dude, he's been tremendous, been absolutely tremendous. And on both ends of the floor, as I mentioned, block rate of 1.4%, steal rate of 1.1%. At, at an off-market price of nearly 12 to 1, very much worth investing in a Kevin Durant at that price if you have access uh, to it over at Circa. And that's also the natural jumping off point, too. Uh, it, it's it's also very much worth pointing out as we're kind of tying this in from like a weekend recap standpoint to go over some of these awards markets and see where we're at after the weekend because there were some adjustments that are worth talking about or some numbers that are worth bringing up. should very much point out that I, I've kind of been on the the fence. Not on the fence. I've actually had my side on, on this whole thing. Uh, Luka Doncic, who is still the favorite to win this award, and it ties into this whole conversation with Circa, who takes their uh, position on things. Circa now has Luka Doncic at plus 199, just under 2-1 to one, to win most valuable player. That is a, that is quite the position. I mean, look, it's not really off-market at all. A lot of places have him like plus 260, whatever it is. Um, but it is like we're getting really close um, at that price tag uh, to odds-on favorite. Not like super close, but still, we're approaching it. And I was kind of on the bandwagon of like bandwagons – kind of negative like it's kind of like got a negative connotation not bandwagon I don't know how to term it regardless I was of the mindset there we go that the Mavericks would not win enough games for him to win this award and I still think I'm going to be right on that Mavericks are trending to go under their win total uh, right now in control of the fourth seed in the Western Conference they have won six straight so they're playing much better basketball they're taking advantage of a relatively poor schedule right now so maybe I could be wrong on that Um, but I I mean, I got to think that because he just dropped 50 over the weekend. That's why we're bringing this up. Uh, Doncic uh, on Saturday, I believe it was, um, yet again, doing what he does, drops 50 as they beat up on the Spurs and grab their uh, sixth consecutive win. Um, I, I think I'm wrong on that. Like, I think I'm going to be wrong on will he win enough games to win this thing because they're probably going to – if they finish as the four seed, maybe even the five, and he's just doing what he's doing – I mean, he's averaging 35 points per game, or he averaged 35 points per game uh, in the month of December, had multiple 50 and 60-point games. Um, it's obviously legitimate that he's he's a threat to win this award, but you have to wonder, as we kind of tie this back into Kevin Durant, which is, if you're, if you're looking at it from the perspective of, okay, a guy who is doing what Kevin Durant's doing on potentially a one seed in the Eastern Conference or what Luka Doncic is doing essentially by himself for a fifth seed in the Western Conference. What do voters weigh more, right? What do voters respect a little bit more after this season? That will be something, a, a, a dynamic, if you will, that is very much, much worth keeping track of. But we'll see how you know the Mavericks pan out, because that's the other part of this. As we look ahead to their schedule, as I mentioned, they're taking advantage of this schedule right now. And for those who are wondering, well, what's the schedule? What are you talking about? Uh they have played during the six-game run. They have beat the Timberwolves, the Rockets, the Lakers, the Knicks, the Rockets again, and the Spurs. And um, it's not exactly, right, the best competition in the world. They have another matchup with Houston coming up today. That would be Monday, January 2nd. And then it starts to get a little bit tighter after that, and we'll see how they respond as we get into January. But home games against Boston and New York. 
They have a quick road trip in which they're going to go to Oklahoma City, Los Angeles for the uh, you know the two-game swing. They'll play the Clippers and the Lakers, a two-game set over in Portland before they come back home for Hawks, Heat, and Clippers. And it's a tough stretch through the 20th of January for the Dallas Mavericks. And we'll see how they respond through it. Schedule lightens up after that. Um, but how they respond over the next three weeks, what the record looks like over the next three weeks, that's going to be, I think, pretty important for Luka when it comes to winning this award. But he's been incredible. Like that, And I never want to come across as taking away credit from guys because Luka has been absolutely amazing this season. And it's been incredible watching him play basketball, of course. But plus 199 over at Circa. That's a, that's a really short price uh, for Luka Doncic. And it does open up value in different parts of that awards market. And I think that value is squarely on Kevin Durant at plus 1150 to win most valuable player. All right, before we get out of here, uh, you know, we're doing this uh, early Monday. We don't want to spend a lot of time on this because uh, you tend to make these things a little bit more evergreen. And, um, you know, you could be listening to this on Monday night. You could be listening to this Tuesday morning, whatever it is. Um, taking a look around at, you know, what Monday is going to bring. They're interested in, obviously, a couple of games here um, later in the day. First off, Cleveland and Toronto – or, excuse me, a Cleveland and a Chicago – Cleveland right now, as I'm listening to, or as you're, you know, as I'm recording this, a four-point favorite, total two twenty-two and a half. Uh, it kind of ties into a headline as well. Darius Garland is not going to be available. It looks like because of a thumb injury that he suffered a couple of days back. So we'll see if that's going to be the case. But uh, with Garland out, and I wrote about this in the column on Monday, and this will just be a quick note on Cleveland, something to watch as we kind of move forward with them, um, and with Evan Mobley dealing with ankle soreness that could keep him out for a little bit too. It's interesting like what numbers can do for you, right? And what I mean by that is, how about this? Cleveland has outscored opponents by 9.9 points per 100 possessions without either Evan Mobley or Darius Garland on the floor. And its 105.6 defensive rating in those possessions ranks in the 98th percentile of qualified lineups. So they've been doing great without either Darius Garland or Evan Mobley on the floor. And you wonder if that's like short sample size nonsense. That's, I mean, that's a pretty big number for a net rating and a sample size of nearly 700 possessions. I mean, it's a pretty good sample size that they play pretty well without them. And if the market or you know anybody out there has downgraded Cleveland because they're going to lose Darius Garland, maybe you want to, might want to think twice. But watching them against Chicago tonight is going to be a really, really big test. It's going to be interesting to see how they respond to that tonight. I did bet them at minus three and a half, so see if they can get, see if they can get there. Another matchup very much worth watching, man. I would say what a beat on a Friday night, but this is basketball. Things tend to happen. Uh, but how about the Golden State Warriors? Outscoring Portland on Friday, 30-16 to 16 in the fourth quarter. Portland completely vomits all over itself in that game and ends up losing. Uh, but they're now 4-0 straight up and against the spread in this current homestand. They're a league-best 16-2 at home. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts what the Golden State Warriors have been able to do at home so far this season. Also... In a, uh, we'll get to that, but you know, in a, in a year in which home court has really diminished, it has been pretty surprising. I, I shouldn't say in a year. In a month in which home court has started to diminish is a much better way to put that. I'm sorry. I was, I was reading while I was trying to uh, talk, which is never really a, uh, a good combination as I'm doing it again right now. Sorry. I'm just getting something on my laptop. Um, but in, we've seen over the last month that home court has kind of diminished. But the Golden State Warriors are not one of those teams. They continue to win at a really high clip. As I mentioned, the league best 16-2 and two at home, second-best net rating at home, plus 11.6 per 100 possessions and non-garbage time. And they're doing this during this run, and this is a credit to Steve Kerr. They're doing it with defense. They're not doing it with offense. Uh, their defense has been great. In these four games, uh, then they're back at home after that road trip that they played in here, 105.6 points per 100 possessions allowed. 
So it'll be really interesting to see what they do here defensively against Atlanta. And Atlanta, for those who did not see it, and that's very much worth mentioning here, uh, a report that came out over the weekend late last week, Nate McMillan um, contemplating resigning as head coach of the Atlanta Hawks. A, that team just seems to be an absolute mess, and that's going to be a, a preseason bet flub, which is very disappointing. Atlanta had the division for them. They got off to a decent start. Miami got off to a really shaky start because of really poor play um, and injury. And Atlanta looks like it's going to blow that. And Miami, again, is a prohibitive favorite to win that division. And the Hawks right now are going to be fighting for position uh, in the playoffs right now and fighting to keep themselves out of the play-in in the Eastern Conference. Right now, 17-19, and 19, nine, uh, ninth in the conference and in the Southeast Division. One and a half games back from Miami, so not anything insurmountable. But just given the way that things are going here in terms of play, in terms of off-court stuff, doesn't seem to be the best. Uh, don't be. The, don't seem to be the best vibes around the Atlanta Hawks. So really interested to see how they play later tonight. And the last note here: big game later today. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers come back home. I would say it's kind of a disappointing East Coast trip for the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, when you're talking about like ending it on a close loss to Indiana, like those are the wins that if you're the Indiana, if, excuse me, if you're the Los Angeles Clippers, who you know I've added quite a bit on to win the NBA Finals, those are the games that you've got to. As an NBA Finals contender, I get it. It's the last game of an East Coast trip. You played Philly. You played Toronto. You played Boston. Three of those games, right, really kind of emotional spots. Norm Powell and Kawhi Leonard going back to Toronto, blowing a 20-point lead in Philadelphia, then getting to, you know, play a really, like, paint swap and um, heavyweight type of bout with the Boston Celtics. That was a really good game. I understand how it's tough. But you got to end on a pretty high note. And defensively, to give up 130 points and lose to the Indiana Pacers before you come back home, I don't want to say it's unacceptable, but it's not the signs that you generally see from an NBA Finals contender. So somewhat worrisome, not worrisome, but somewhat disappointing East Coast trip. But bring this up because now they get the Miami Heat later tonight. That's going to be a lot of fun because that's going to be a really good matchup. Heat are starting to get healthy. Uh, the role players are still kind of beat up, right? Caleb Barton, Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, all listed as questionable for the game tonight. But Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, uh, all going to be on the floor. And very quietly, man, I'm going to double-check these numbers because I haven't updated them since Friday, or I haven't looked them at them uh, since Friday. But health has kind of been the issue for Miami, right? Uh, it's been a big reason why they're 22nd in offense. There's been no consistency in terms of the lineups, especially Butler, you know, has missed time. Lowry has missed time. Um but with their big three on the floor, so we're talking about, of course, Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo, and Jimmy Butler. According to Cleaning the Glass, I'm going to sort these numbers really quick and get these for you because I was looking at them the other day. They are plus 7.3 per 100 possessions in non-garbage time. Offense is fine, solid, good, above average, 117 per 100, and a 109.7 defensive rating. Their best lineup with those three out there, Kyle Lowry, Max Struess, Caleb Martin, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, they're expected you know, either one of their expected, you know, starting lineups. And actually, to be honest with you, they're two most used lineups with these three on the floor are great. Uh, but that lineup with Struce at shooting guard as opposed to Tyler Hero, a plus 16.6 per 100 possessions. And then you swap out Hero at the shooting guard position, Caleb Martin in its uh, small forward for each of these lineups, and they are plus 11. So I would just say, I look, I don't really believe in this depth for the Miami Heat. I think the bench is a little bit of an issue. But when we're talking about like this division and the conference as a whole, right, where Miami is currently the seventh seed and the Indiana Pacers are barely holding on to the sixth, and dude, the top six is so crowded in the East. Boston, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Philly, and Indiana. Like Miami's going to have to squeeze their way in. Um, Toronto still on the outside of looking in of the top ten. We'll see if they get healthy and get those things together. 
I wouldn't say Miami's going to make noise, but with those three out there and those numbers and those statistical returns, Miami's going to be a pain in the butt for whoever they take on. All right, good weekend recap. So uh, really enjoy, of course, you listening to this. A very happy new year to everybody who is uh, listening to this right now. And uh, very much want to say thank you. Thank you very much for the support in 2022 and 2023. Hopefully will be a good one for you and for all of us. So happy new year. We'll be back later in the week. And until then, enjoy Harvard Handicappers. And please like, rate, review, subscribe, and hit up vcin.com slash JVT. We'll see you. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.